as long as you keep solving problems, your entrepreneurial journey will continue. You are only going to fail at business the day that you decide to stop solving problems. This is Debbie, and welcome to another episode of The Offbeat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditched the norm to become location independent. We'll learn how to create sustainable laptop lifestyles from the experts that will help us achieve freedom from our nine to five. Hey friend, are you looking to land a remote gig ASAP? Well, did you know that we not only have a ton of online jobs you can apply to on our site, but now we are also sending them straight to your inbox. I'm happy to announce that we will be sending our email subscribers legit online jobs every Wednesday. We have done hours of research so you don't have to. If you want to be the first one to hear about the remote gigs we find, go to theoffbeatlife.com to subscribe. On this episode, I speak with Matt, who is the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, which helps individual real estate investors by performing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where they live. As a location-independent business owner, Matt runs his company from epic locations around the world and has lived in over 50 different countries since 2013. He is a sought-after speaker at events and conferences around the world relating to real estate investing, entrepreneurship, long-term world travel, and the digital nomad lifestyle. So listen on to find out how Matt has been location independent as a remote real estate investor. Hey everyone, thank you so much for being here. I am really excited to speak with our guest today, Matthew. Hey Matt, how are you? Hey, Debbie. I'm great. Good to be here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to speak with you because what you are doing is something that I am extremely interested in. But before we get to that, can you tell us about you and why you live an offbeat life? Yeah. So all of my academic background and all of my professional work experience up until the age of 30 has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm doing today. So I have a bachelor's degree in sociology. I have a master's degree in international peace and conflict resolution. And I worked in the nonprofit advocacy space all the way up until the age of 30. And I was doing really important work. It was really meaningful. It was really affecting positive change in the world. I was very passionate about it. But I wasn't making a lot of money. And so I started investing on the side in rental properties and learned all about real estate investing and all that. And then I started having my friends come to me. They said, how are you doing that real estate investing? And so I was showing them how to do the real estate investing and all of this. And then one day at the age of 30, totally unexpected, we had a change in management, everything in the organization shifted around. All of a sudden I walk in to work one day, long story short, and I get fired from my job completely unexpectedly at the age of 30. And they said, we got a hand in your phone and your laptop and all this kind of stuff and out of the office by five. And then there I was, no phone even, right? I'm driving to the cell phone store to buy a phone so that I can call my mother and tell her I was fired. And on that drive, Debbie, I started doing a lot of thinking, a lot of reflecting. And I said, you know what? If this happened to me now, this could happen to me at any point. So I am going to make a decision at this moment, and I'm not going to apply for another job. I am going to figure out how to create my own business and generate my own income. And then I started realizing that I had no idea how to do that. So 
I got the phone, then I went to the bookstore, and then I started reading books on how to start a business. Now, this was back in 2007. And one of the days that I went into the bookstore, there was a brand new book on the shelf called The Four Hour Work Week by Timothy Ferris. And I picked that book up and I read it the day it came out. And I said, that is what I'm doing. And so I then realized that I didn't have all the skills myself to start a business. So I reached out to a couple of business partners that had complementary skill sets. And I said, one of the things I know how to do is to help people buy rental properties. I know there's already demand for that because my friends are already coming to me asking me to help them to buy rental properties. And so if we could start a real estate brokerage, we could get paid for helping people buy rental properties without having to charge the clients any money because in the United States, the seller pays all of the real estate commissions. So I could still help my friends buy real estate, this time get paid for it, but I don't have to charge my friends any money at all. I was like, that is my business model. I don't have to sell anything. <laughs> I just help people for free and I still get paid. That's amazing. So that's what we did. We founded Maverick Investor Group in 2007 and it's a real estate brokerage and we help people to buy rental properties in the United States, turnkey. They've already been renovated. They already have a qualified tenant in place paying rent. They're already cash flowing and performing on the day that our clients close. They can buy them in the most investor advantaged US real estate markets, regardless of where they live. They can live anywhere in the world uh, because they don't have to be the rehabber or the landlord and they don't have to live near their properties, but they get all of the benefits of owning the actual deeded real estate. So that was our business model. And we built that with a location independent infrastructure so that we and all of our staff could live wherever we want, travel the world as much as we want. And our clients obviously could live wherever they want. And we've been running that business since 2013. And I have lived in about 65 different countries since then. Wow. Well, that's definitely what most of our listeners want to do. <laughs> How were you able to actually transition this business to become location independent? Because most people will think, well, if you're in real estate, you have to be there. You have to make sure that things are running smoothly. And you created a business that you don't need to do that. Yeah. The answer to that question is pre-planning and then reverse engineering a business model. So when you go to start a business, most people think, okay, I need to have a business plan. And that business plan should be how my business is going to make money. What are my costs? What are my expenses? What's my revenue? How much profit am I going to make? And they just limit it to the financial aspect of what the business is going to deliver for them. What we did is we said, we also want this business to deliver the ideal dream lifestyle to each of us and to our staff for that matter, right? And to our customers for that matter, right? So we said, how would we do that? And then we reverse engineered the business model to facilitate our location independence and to facilitate and deliver our lifestyle design, which we viewed from day one as just as important, if not more important than the financial success of the business. When we look at your life right now, Matt, we're, we're thinking to ourselves, well, this is amazing. This is perfect. But how did you even find out that this is really the niche for you? Because like you said, you didn't start doing this until you were 30. And I think a lot of people assume that if you're successful, especially in the real estate business or really any difficult industry out there, you need to have a lot of experience and it doesn't 
come overnight and obviously it didn't happen to you either you had to do a lot of work but there's a lot of fear also that goes into it how did you figure out that this is what you needed to do and I'm sure getting pushed out of a job was a huge (laughs) indicator for that but why did you realize that this was something that you need to needed to go into Yeah, I think your point about the fear thing is a good one. And I think a lot of people hesitate to jump from their stable job because of the fear. And to be honest, you're right. I got kicked in the pants, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, I kind of got abruptly thrust, you know, into this, but I had built up enough along the way, right? I had been studying real estate investing. I've been investing in real estate myself out of state, right? Rental properties. I have been helping other friends of mine do this. And so that was something that I knew I understood. It was a product that I knew I could sell. It was a service that I knew was in demand. I was already doing it and helping people. All I had to do was monetize it. So I think, you know, the way that people can think about it is what do you already do? Or what do you love to do? And maybe it's a hobby or maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's part of what you're doing professionally right now, but you could recreate that in an independent way and monetize that as a business. And that's really the way I would encourage people to go. You know, that's really what I did is because I said, okay, what do I know how to do? What do I know how to sell? What can I do? How can I deliver value? What are people already coming to me for that I'm doing that's delivering value to them already? I'm just not getting paid for it, right? And then that's how this model came about. And then we said, okay, how are we going to build this business and help people to buy rental properties in the best real estate markets around the country, no matter where they live, no matter where we live. And then we had to go and design each piece of that. We said, okay, this is what we want to do. And now this is how we're going to design it. So then what you do is you come up with this business plan. You say, okay, well, these are some challenges. These are some obstacles, right? You made the point, Debbie, that a real estate brokerage is not a traditionally virtual business model, right? Most people think real estate broker, isn't that the person that drives you around to look at houses and sits at open houses and lists properties or drives homeowners around to see if they like the kitchen or the bathroom and they want to buy the house? That's a traditional real estate brokerage. And so what we did is we developed and created a non-traditional model for that, right? We said, we want, number one, our clients to be able to buy in the best markets regardless of where they live. A regular real estate broker only has properties in their local market to sell. They can't sell you a property out of your local market because they don't have access to those, right? So we said, how could we, instead of telling everybody they should buy our product and they should buy our market because it's all we have to sell, how can we flip that around and put the client first and say, we want to be able to do a consultation with each individual investor client, find out what their real estate investing goals are, find out what their buying criteria is, and then help them identify the best real estate markets for them to buy in regardless of where they live and remove those geographic restrictions on them so they can buy in the best markets, right? So we said, how would we do that? And then you start asking these questions and you start saying, well, what are the obstacles to doing that? What are the challenges gonna be? How could we overcome those? And so you just start asking yourself those questions and then brainstorming about it and then coming up with solutions, right? Because entrepreneurship is really just continual nonstop problem solving. (laughs) I can attest to that because every day there's a problem that I have to solve with my business. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and, and as long as you keep solving problems, your entrepreneurial journey will continue. Yeah. You are only going to fail at business the day that you decide to stop solving problems. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, it's exciting because <laughs> it is, it's really exciting. <laughs> I know it seems like we're masochists in some sense because we, we like having all of these issues and the problems, right? But it's so exciting when you finally figure it out. <laughs> you have like an <laughs> adrenaline rush. <laughs> yeah. And then that remains exciting until whatever that solution was no longer works, yeah. you know? And then like the floor falls out from underneath you and then you have to figure <laughs> out a new solution to the new problem and then you just kind of keep going. But that that really is it, right? I mean, the, the, the core crux of business is first of all, finding a problem that other people are having and how your product or service can be a solution to other people's problems. Like that's the first part of any business, right? Delivering something of value. So for us, it was like, okay, uh, the problem people are having is uh, they think that they can only buy real estate in their local market. And if they live in an expensive market like you do, Debbie, in New York City, that's not going to be a very high return, high cash flow investment for them. So that's a problem. Number two, people don't like trying to rehab and renovate properties because that's annoying and very difficult and very costly and very high risk. And number three, people don't like being landlords for properties because that's really you know, challenging getting calls from the tenants in the middle of the night when the toilet doesn't work or this kind of stuff. And so these are all the things that people find challenging about real estate. How can we remove all of that? for people. How can we let people buy in the best markets regardless of where they live, make sure that they don't have to be the rehabbers and make sure that they don't have to be the landlords, right? So if we remove all of those problems that people are having and we let them buy a performing cash flowing property that's already renovated and already cash flowing and already tenanted and already being managed professionally by somebody else, well, now we have a value proposition, right? So that's the first part of business is solving your customer's problem. And then you have, you know, the ongoing number of business problems that will continue to befall you. And as long as you continue to solve them, you will continue to stay in business and continue to thrive. Yeah. And I find it really exciting, too, that the more problems and issues we solve, the more money you make because you can monetize all of those things, you know, as as you have, Matt, you know, you've solved this issue, you made it easier for people. And now you're able to have a thriving business from it, which is incredible. Yeah, 100%. So how did you figure out the right systems when you first started your business? Because this isn't where you started. Did you have a mentor or did you learn as you go? So I largely learned by myself before I started the business, right? So I had been investing in rental properties, as I mentioned, in different markets. I'd been reading everything I could read about it, learning about it through doing. And then I partnered with other people that had different experiences than mine, right? So one of my business partners was on the real estate sales side. He was a real estate agent for a, you know, a very successful real estate agent who had been selling investment properties. So he was actually on the sales side and actually had that experience and was able to be our corporate broker so that we could actually have a brokerage, right? So, you know, I recruited business partners that had the experiences that I did not have. And then I knew pretty clearly, you know, what my experiences were and what my skill sets were that I could bring to the table. And then I recruited two business partners that had complementary skill sets for all the stuff that I either didn't know or wasn't good at. How do you choose the right people to partner with, even though you know that they have the skill sets that you want? right? Especially if you don't know them yet. How do you know that they're the right people for you 
to go in this business and because it may be just me, the New Yorker and jaded. <laughs> be like, how do you, Matt, how do you do this and make sure that it's a win-win for everyone? <laughs> Debbie, that's a super good question. And I'll be honest with you. I watch other business partnerships fail all the time yes. because people pick the wrong business partners. You know, I mean, that is a really, really important choice. Or a lot of people just go into business by themselves and don't have a partner for that reason, I suppose. But for me, I knew both of my business partners very well. So my business partner, Valerie, was my best friend since graduate school. And we had done all kinds of stuff together. You know, we had done political activism together. We'd done international travel together. We had done all sorts of things. I knew her extremely well. We had worked on all sorts of team projects together. I knew exactly what her skill set was. She knew what mine was. We knew how we worked together, what our synergies were. We had been basically stress tested in like high intensity environments and stuff like that. So I knew exactly what she would be able to bring to the table. And then my other business partner, Mark, he actually sold me a number of my rental properties. So I actually saw from the customer side what the experience was like working with him as a real estate salesperson and all, all of the experience that he brought from that end of it. So, you know, I knew these people. I had extended experience with these people and I was able to really carefully select them based upon my personal relationships as well as the skill set assessment of them. I think that's a really great idea to do. Like you said, stress testing someone and yes. especially before you get into a bigger partnership because it can really affect a friendship. You know, I think a lot of people are mis led by, okay, we're friends, we get along, but it's totally different when it's a business relationship and it gets really complicated. And I think your idea of trying out the relationship into a business relationship in smaller doses first and see how that goes before you actually get into a long-term partnership where there's more money and legal stuff happening because it can be a headache. I, yeah, I've seen 100, it often. <laughs> 100%. That is entirely, entirely true. And the other thing you should realize is that if you ever go into business with another human being, you are putting your entire friendship on the line yeah. because 99.9% .9 chance if that business does not work out, the friendship is done, right? <laughs> so, so yes, so that's, that's, that's a hundred percent correct. So you, you are very clear about the risk that you're taking mm -hmm. with that friendship and you should absolutely make sure that you have assessed the business skills and you've assessed a whole bunch of things about those people yeah. and making sure that it is an actual synergistic relationship for what you're going to go into. Yep. Yeah. And I've also seen work ethics that were completely different in the working styles that don't work together. So yeah, you don't think about that until you actually need to get work done and you just don't sink in that. <laughs> I mean, this is why that experience right up front, like being able to observe that in people, mm -hmm. being able to do joint projects with people of some kind, even if it was different from your business, you know, my business partners and I have done things together. We've done joint projects together in other spaces where I've seen how they perform, you know, under deadlines and timelines and high stress environments and all this kind of stuff and how we work together and, you know, how that teamwork happens because absolutely, you are right. Everything is different under stress. Everything's different when money's involved. Everything's different when you're going through the entrepreneurial roller coaster and yeah. you have those stressful downswings and everything else. So 100% agree with that.
And I tell all of my listeners, you know, I don't, especially when they see a lot of articles or images from digital nomads and location independent entrepreneurs that it just seems like it's really great and they don't realize how hard everyone works to get this type of lifestyle, if anything more, right? Because we also have a lifestyle that we're trying to do and we do it in different places and there's so much more to balance to it. So it's not just happy and amazing all the time. There's a lot of things that go along with it. So I always want to tell the truth (laughs) and have reality put in there aside from obviously we all love what we do and we love our lifestyle, but there are things that you have to look out for if you want to get into this niche or uh, lifestyle. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, there's a lot of very short lived digital nomad experiments, uh, shall we say, (laughs) and people go out and they do this thing for like a year and then they crash and they burn Mm -hmm. because they didn't, put in enough work, yeah. you know, they burned out on, you know, binging on too much social stuff or this, you know, so it's like anything else. You have to have the right balance in your life, right? And when you add in the itinerant world travel, you're adding in another piece that you have to balance, right? But it's like anything else in your life, right? Like even if you're just sitting at home in your apartment in wherever, and you know, you could do no work and you could just binge on Netflix for like eight hours a day. Which I like do you sometimes. <laughs> like, like, yeah, like you could do those things there. Yeah. And it's just like when you're traveling and you're in some super epic place and there's like amazing, exciting things to do at all times, you also just like with not binging on Netflix too much, you have to, you know, structure your time. Yeah. Make sure that you're giving work the priority that you have to give work. And then you have to make sure that you're, you know, sleeping enough and exercising enough and eating healthy and like, you know, doing all the regular things that you have to do to live a healthy life. And then you factor in the super amazing and exciting and absolutely epic things that there are to do in those places, which is one of the reasons that I like to slow travel. Mm -hmm. Because when I travel, I try to stay in places for a good one to two months. And that, number one, helps me to feel like a resident of that place. I'm not just like rushing through and staying at like a hostel or a hotel. I'm actually getting, you know, an apartment or whatever in a residential area. And I am a resident of that city for one to two months. And I'm shopping at the grocery store and I'm doing all of the regular normal life things. And I can really start to feel like a resident of that city. And also, if I'm there for a couple of months, I don't feel rushed. Like I have to race out and do this thing because I have a couple months to do all that stuff, you know? So you can live a regularly paced life. You're just doing really, really epic stuff when you're going out to do stuff. I think also when you first start traveling, you feel like you have to go everywhere and do everything. And you are. It's like a race, right? You're checking off all of these countries. And now I'm in my 30s. And honestly, I like... I'm like you, Matt. I just want to travel slowly. I want to enjoy things. And it's really not about taking off countries for me anymore. It's finding a place that I feel at home in every time and also the people. Because for me now, more than ever, it's really about the connection you're getting. Because as a digital nomad, as a remote worker, you can be anywhere and choosing the right place that feels 
really good. It feels like, I don't know, there's a lot, I think, of us that feels like we belong in a lot of different places. So you could, you can feel at home in so many different places. But I think, at least for me, that's what's more important. Yeah. And if you have a longer term horizon, you don't have to race around and try to pack things in. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, there's sort of this model of, you know, in Europe where they have the gap year, mm. right? Where like after high school or whatever, you travel around, you backpack for a year, and then you're going to like go to college, get a job, go into the corporate world and like get married, have kids and whatever, <laughs> whatever else life is prescribed for you, right? But you get this one year, you know, and you could just go have epic bonkers adventures for like this entire year and you know you just try to pack everything into that and by the end of that year you're probably so burned out you're like okay fine now i want to go back to the you know (laughs) so 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 and i feel like some people with the nomading stuff you know sort of subscribe to that type of framework you know they're just viewing it as maybe like a short-term gap year type situation where they'll go out and do all this stuff for a year and then they don't do very much work and then they run out of money and then they you know basically have to come back and it was just kind of an adventure that they can talk about for a while now right whereas people that want to actually do this long term and they actually want to maintain an itinerant lifestyle where they're able to move around and live in different places in the world at their own speed, at their own pace, and really design their own lifestyle long-term, that requires more discipline, you know, and more structure to be able to do that long-term to make sure that you have all the sustainability pillars that you need to do that long-term. But I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I don't try to just chalk up countries either. I mean, I will oftentimes go back to the same country again and again, and oftentimes to see different cities. You know, mm-hmm. I went back to Japan three times over the last two years because I spent a month in Tokyo and I didn't leave Tokyo, 